So it's always been my aim all and everything I've ever preached and everything I've ever done when it comes to counseling or teaching classes, everything comes down to taking Jesus seriously, listening to what he has said. And as he said, not just being hearers of the word, but being doers of the word. So I just ask you to take Jesus seriously. Don't just show up and fill a seat. Don't just show up and check a box and get your little spiritual fast food drive through thing. Don't do that. Be better off just to sleep in. Take him seriously and it'll absolutely be worth it in the end. Hey, uh, welcome. It's good to be together. Uh, as we've uh, mentioned uh, this morning already and, and in the email I sent out to the, to the church uh, this past week, today is a unique Sunday and it's a special Sunday. Uh, we, are, uh, we are sending, sending off uh, uh, Pastor Josh, Carrie Goodman, and uh, their son Lincoln uh, as he makes a transition out of uh, pastoral ministry into the business sector. And so we are uh, blessed today to hear some uh, final thoughts, some parting words uh, from him. Uh, and so um, would you just uh, do your best uh, to welcome uh, Pastor Josh today? Uh, give, give him a good welcome, amen? Come on. All right. Well, I don't know if you noticed or not, but Tim broke a guitar string. He said it's the first time in his entire life he's ever broken a string, and I take full credit for that with the songs that I chose today. The two that did not make the cut were Thunderstruck by ACDC, and, which is about Moses and the mountain getting the Ten Commandments, and also Sweet Child of Mine uh, about Jesus, you know, the Father to Jesus. So those are the two that didn't make it. I suppose I can understand why. Uh, so, 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 yeah. Um, so I had the same best friend uh, when I was in seventh grade, eighth grade, ninth grade, 10th grade, 11th grade, and then his family moved away before our senior year. He was the oldest of six boys, and they were all uh, one year apart. So, uh, all, and he was the oldest, and we were in the same grade, so one grade below as it went all the way down. And his mom and dad got started young. They were 17 when they had him. So when I met him in seventh grade, his parents were incredibly young, and they had uh, these six boys. So as you might imagine, it was a wild, wild house, uh, and I loved every single minute of being over there. So over the years, uh, we had a lot of great times with their family because they were young, and they had six kids, six boys. Uh, I w they were definitely not poor, but neither did they have a lot of money, and they had to really do a lot of side hustles in order just to sort of make ends meet. So the dad had a, a good job, but um, occasionally, because of the way that it worked, he would have seasonal layoffs. And in the meantime, like I said, they did other things to sort of make money. So they had uh, paper routes. Consistently, they had paper routes. And once in a while, when I would spend the night at their house, I would get to go uh, on the paper route with them. And usually it was at warmer weather seasons in the summer. And what we did was we went to the distribution center over on uh, 4th and Grand in West Des Moines, and we'd pick up the papers for their route. And then we'd fold them all up and rubber band them and put them in the bag if it needed, and then put them in the back of their station wagon and drive to the first location. But once we got there and we were out of sight of anybody because it's 4.30 in the morning, their dad would take all the papers, a ton of the papers anyway, and he would load them on the hood. 
And then my friend and I would sit on the hood, and he would drive us around, and we'd just grab him and get off. And sometimes we'd try to, like, you know, from the hood, try to get him and things like that. So we had a lot of, a lot of good adventures uh, along those lines that would get DHS called on somebody nowadays. But we're amazing back then. And so one of the other things that their family did uh, to make extra money was they cleaned uh, homes of older, elderly people in their church. Uh, and so they did this on a regular basis. And over the years, they had some really amazing finds when they were cleaning these people's homes, particularly if they wandered up into the attic to clean and organize that. Many of which, as you maybe know, if you've had elderly parents, like have not been touched for years and years and years. So one specific time, uh, they stumbled upon a pretty amazing uh, collection of mint condition baseball cards from the 1960s. And so, uh, and we were huge into collecting cards at the time. So this was like the grail. There were multiple Pete Rose rookie cards, uh, multiple um, Roberto Clemente rookie cards, multiple Willie Mays second year cards, and even just the commons of some of these were worth 20 to $25. This is back in, you know, the late 80s, early 90s. So that was a lot of money just for common cards. They were all in mint condition. And the lady said, oh, you, my, those were my sons years ago. You can have them. And so they got all these for free. And of course, we, you know, got the like super, super hard plastic cases with the screws, you know what I mean, in them. And so these brothers, though, six boys, like it was uh, wild, like I said earlier. And so oftentimes they would get in fights and they were the most vicious like fights towards each other of, that I'd ever seen in my life. Now, they were fiercely loyal to each other if somebody else was threatening one of them, and they would absolutely go and fight whoever it was that was threatening them. But when they got mad at each other, they were no less ferocious. And I remember one time, two, two of the brothers, it wasn't my friend, it was two of the younger ones, got in a huge fight. I don't even know what it was over. But what I do know is that one of the brothers who felt like he had the greatest level of offense stayed up late, and he chewed a large amount of gum all at one time got this big wad of bubble gum. While the other brother was asleep, he snuck into his room, took out this brother's Pete Rose rookie card, and smashed the gum, like, all on it. I mean, it was, it's crazy, right? So, uh, and then we have, there's stories for days about getting boxing gloves out and us filming the brothers fighting, you know, to settle a dispute, and again, DHS type of stuff. So, um, but one of uh, the greatest finds they ever had, maybe next to the baseball cards, was that they came across uh, in one of the homes a whole bunch of perfect condition leisure suit tuxedos. Now, if you've seen Dumb and Dumber and you remember the, the leisure suit tuxedos they have on, right, at the party where he goes over and I'm going to put out the vibe and I won't do that, but that's... That's what these were, mint condition in our size. And the lady said, oh, you can have those. And this was a time where we were really, for some reason, into like Saturday Night Fever and the Bee Gees and all this different kind of stuff, along with all the other music that was going on. So we thought these were incredible. We're going to figure out a way to make use of these. So it ju um, this is not a joke. It just so happens that about six months after that, it was the beginning of a new school year, our sophomore year of high school, at West Des Moines Valley, and the school announced that for the first time ever, they were going to have a dance known as Disco Inferno. And we were like, you have got, this is like a godsend, you know? We weren't even Christians, but we're like, this is, this is amazing. Like, we're gonna, and it said, like, wear your best 70s 
gear and come and dance to, you know, all these bands that some of you maybe are familiar with if you grew up in that era. And so we're like, this is our moment. This is, we're going to bust these things out. And so uh, my friend, he had one that was uh, like mostly orange and it had the, but it had a yellow tuxedo shirt with a puffy, you know, stuff up the middle. Mine was actually brown and it had a kind of like an off-white cream colored puffy tuxedo shirt, but the, the like puffy part had like a brown outline around it. And, and, and I had the buttons all the way open. Okay, so the tuxedo, the buttons all the way open so I could show all three of my chest hairs to whoever. And, uh, and it had this crazy, like, I can't even describe it, but it was like this big wooden sun medallion that came with it. So I had this, like, medallion hanging down. Oh, it was just glorious. And so we're really excited. We get all dressed up for the disco inferno. You know, we practiced all the cheesy moves, you know, thinking whatever. And so we get there to the dance. It's in the cafeteria. And we're, we're not, like, early necessarily, but we're early-ish. And we walk in, kind of imagine, like, the jive talking, you know. We walk in kind of like that. And we look around and we're like, nobody else is dressed up. <laughs> nobody else. I mean, I, everybody's just wearing like what they would traditionally wear. So it was, again, still pretty early. So we're thinking, okay, like, you know, as the night goes on, other people will probably show up in similar, similar outfits. Uh, for the most part, they did not. And so the night goes on and it hasn't really, it's still very early in the first half hour. And we're the only ones. Now, people were like, oh, those are so cool. But, you know, it didn't really help us feel confident. And everybody else is not dressed up. But then, but then everything changed. All of a sudden, we see coming into the cafeteria three of the most, like, gorgeous, beautiful junior girls. Like, the most popular. One of them was the most, like, sought-after beautiful girl in the whole school. They three, all three of them come in, and they are completely decked out in 70s stuff. And so we were like, oh man, like we're still excited, at least it's somebody, and at least it's girls that are like, you're popular and cool, because we were probably not. And so we were like, that's a good thing, you know, like we had our group, but it wasn't like their level at anywhere close, especially being a year older than us. And so we're like, you know, this is, okay, that's awesome. We feel better. But then, but then it all changed even more because they saw us. And they noticed we were the only ones dressed up. And I had had a class with one of the girls and had talked with her a few times, you know, not that that mattered, but like, and she, whatever, felt comfortable enough to be like, oh my gosh, you guys look amazing. Like, let's dance. And so we were all, so we, no joke, no joke. We spent the whole rest of the night, the five of us, the three of them and my friend and I, pretty much dancing together the whole time we had. Of course, we were like, hey, get, get pictures. Get pictures of this. Like, uh, get as many of this as before, phones or anything. So, like, we're shaking them, you know what I mean? Like, making sure they turn out and everything. But you're like, it was like for one night, like, we were legends. And, like, it was something that, like, I think our smiles were on our faces for, like, weeks following. And if anybody hadn't heard about it or wasn't there, we were sure to let them know exactly what had happened. So, this is my last message, last thing that I get to talk about. So first, before I get into uh, a few thoughts that I want to leave you with, and they're not long, uh, hopefully 
you know, the body of work of the last five years, the sermons that I've preached, the classes I've taught, the people that I've had conversations and communicated with, hopefully, you know, uh, that's what you're going to uh, remember. And I, it's, there's, it's tempting on this last time to want to try to cram as much as I possibly can into this, but that's not what I want to do. I just want to leave you with a few things, and then we'll uh, hang out a little bit afterward. But before I do that, I just want to say, of course, a huge thank you um, to Pastor Jordan and Lindsay uh, and the rest of the board as well for these past five years. Some of you maybe know the story a little bit of how we got here. Some of you probably don't, but the super, super short version is that uh, the former pastor, lead pastor before Jordan hired me and then two weeks later was gone. And so Jordan was the new lead pastor and he stuck with a guy that he didn't even basically know at all. And so uh, we're like, hey, I'm, I'm Josh, I'm on staff now. And here's Jordan, you just took over the church. So that's not an ideal situation. How many of you know? It's not an ideal situation. And so uh, there definitely was some time of feeling out, and I was far from my best at that season in my life, having come from some significant trauma at our last church. But uh, I've told Jordan this many, many times, and the board as well. I'm just ridiculously thankful and appreciative of the fact that they stuck with me uh, through those early months especially, and I've, I've hoped that I've paid that back and that they feel like it was worth it uh, to do that. And so the opportunity just to be here to serve uh, the last five years little over five years, has been a huge blessing to me and my family. I'm also incredibly thankful to all of you who've allowed me to be your pastor. Those of you who've actually come to me and asked my uh, you know, advice, my input, my thoughts on things, I don't take that for granted. I consider that a privilege and an honor to be able to speak into your life. And uh, I'm humbled always when somebody thinks that my opinion, the thoughts I may have uh, are valuable and are worth seeking out. So thank you so much for allowing me to really do the thing that I love, uh, which is to, to help lead people closer to Jesus. So those are a couple of obvious things. The last thing I wanna say is just a huge thanks, huge thanks, and we got to do a little of this Friday night, but a huge thanks uh, to our youth group and to the students who've been a part of the youth group, whether they just came in this year as sixth graders or whether they've been in it for my four and a half, five years that I've led the youth group. It's really been the, the, the great joy of my time here uh, and to the youth leaders as well, you guys, we talked about this Friday night. We had an end of the year youth group, uh, youth group leaders dinner. It got a, a little emotional maybe uh, in a good way. And I think that just the leadership team I've been privileged uh, to oversee, the way they love the kids, uh, the way that the kids love them, the way that the kids have seemingly loved each other and just the relationships we've built. And it's something special. And I told them this Friday night, I've been around ministry for a long time. And I, for people that haven't been or maybe are overly familiar with, with youth groups. What we have uh, in that youth group is rare. It's not, it's not as common as you think, and I could tell lots of stories about that. We even had two people from outside the church come visit this year to observe our youth group. One was somebody I didn't know, one was someone I did know, and unsolicited, the comments they made were like, this is not normal. Like, this is not normal. This is incredible what's going on. So just be, uh, if you didn't know, it is. And so along those lines, though, Along those lines, I wanted to share a few pictures, a few highlights from youth group, just because I want to, and it's going to be fun. So if you didn't know, we have dinner every Wednesday night for youth group, but one of the biggest highlights, maybe the biggest highlight, uh, it seems anyway, for the last several years, is when we have Oreos. Oreos are as good as gold in the youth group, and they are coveted. I have to let people know. <laughs> like, do not, 
do not take more than so many Oreos until everybody has had Oreos. Jack didn't obey that rule. He took a lot and put them all in at once. So this is just a great uh, a picture that I can't, I don't know who took this, but it's amazing. And I don't think Jack's in here, but maybe he is. I don't know, but it's an amazing picture. He gave me permission to share this for the record. I wasn't just going to drop this on him. But, uh, and also some of you, like you'd be amazed by the way, how many Oreos like a 90 pound seventh grade girl can eat. It, it's like it's multiple stomachs or something. I don't know, but it's amazing. And so we also have played a ton. You've probably heard some of the stories, a ton of really crazy games. I can't remember the order these are in. So just go ahead and whatever, put the next one up. And so, oh yeah, this is actually from just last Wednesday night. Uh, this is Oakland, if you didn't know. And it was the final game to decide the grand championship of our entire year of small group competition. And they had to bob for little Smokies and a massive tray of ketchup and mayonnaise and, like, get them out. And she was all about it. And their group did win the championship, so it was the deciding thing. And so, uh, yeah, that was, that was awesome and not, didn't smell good uh, at all. So the next one is another uh, legendary sort of picture. So that is an octopus uh, that I brought in from Whole Foods. You can get them there in case you're curious. Do you ever need a whole octopus? They've got them there. And so it's like the best $30 you'll ever spend is to bring an octopus to youth group. It's amazing. And so this is Ethan just holding it. Uh, we played some games with it. I don't even remember exactly what we did, but it was mostly just to smell really bad and get some kicks. So then uh, it was interesting to see who was cool with the octopus and who was not. Some people, if I moved towards them with it, they ran screaming. Some people, like this next picture, were much more willing to engage with it. And so if you know Avery, this is not a surprise at all. So, um, so you know, yeah. And Colby, I don't know what he's doing in the background, <laughs> but it's cool. So, um, so, yeah, what else do we got next? We've got, uh, yeah, so this was a game, not my idea, by the way. And I said I was going to say this, not my idea. It was Laura Biondi's idea. So you, there's, they have a shower cap, and then uh, there is shaving cream uh, on top of their head, dollar store goggles that didn't work very well. And then their team was supposed to throw crunchy Cheetos uh, on top of their head. We had to come up with a game for crunchy Cheetos because uh, it's the least popular chip for some reason. And we had tons of bags left over, and they were about to expire, and it felt bad. So they're like, what can we do with them? And that's what we came up with. Uh, so another, we got another picture of, I think, uh, Bree taking it, too. So you can get a really good view there, too, of what that was like. So props to Blake and Bree for being willing to have their team uh, throw stuff at them and do this. Back in the fall, we had uh, our first ever late-night event, went from uh, 6 to midnight, and it was all over the place. There's a picture of Lucy. She won a Paw Patrol uh, inflatable thing, uh, which cost probably 60 to $70 at spare time to get that. <laughs> and so I've just never seen someone so excited about uh, something, you know. It's like a $2 item on Amazon, but uh, it was great, and we're having our end-of-the-year party at spare time uh, this Wednesday night coming up. So maybe, Lucy, you can get another one of these. So um, next, we've got some of the youth leaders when we dressed up for our Trunk or Treat event. This was a super memorable night. Um, and so I'm Mr. Clean, in case you didn't know. That's the Windex. So, uh, yeah, and uh, Jason just dressed up as an older version of himself, pretty much. So... <laughs> <laughs> that was, <laughs> just kidding, <laughs> what he's going to look like down the road. So, 
Because uh, <laughs> I, I, I was sitting there like, so in this, and this was uh, another trunk or treat thing, the next one that I had a blast with the youth group. This was my, my see, the 80s rock outfit. I just went with that. So that was, trunk or treats were a blast just for no other reason than we got to dress up and be uh, kids again. But the biggest probably thing in the youth group every single year, all my time here, was the Christmas party uh, and the gingerbread house decorating contest. And so uh, every year, this was intense competition. Uh, Steph Beyond, you couldn't be here this morning, would bring in more candy than I'd ever seen in any place outside of a candy store uh, for the kids to use to decorate. And there were design and all kinds of strategies and people getting mad at each other because they weren't doing it right and all that kind of stuff. But as you can see, it was basically just chaos, not even controlled chaos. Uh, And lastly, one of the more funny things that ever happened was Matt and Laura made this amazing wrapping paper. with my face on it, uh, <laughs> limited edition, <laughs> so they still have some apparently, but just things like that uh, I loved and made feel very humbled that that would even be something they'd think of doing, uh, and so, yeah, that's just a great, a great picture. So, all right, um, I've just been so thankful for the youth group, and all, all the joking aside, all that stuff's funny, uh, it's just been a powerful time uh, that we've had together and learning more about Jesus and um, learning what it means to take Jesus seriously. And so that's the, the part, obviously, that it, uh, has been maybe one of the most difficult, for sure, for, for me to know that I'm, that I'm leaving behind. But there have been other just awesome stuff uh, that we've gotten to experience in our time here. If you've been around uh, for any of the baptism services we've had, uh, especially in, in, you know most recently, just a few weeks ago, those have been incredibly powerful, powerful times. It's been just amazing to be able to stand in the tank and to be able to baptize some of you, uh, some of your kids. Uh, it's just been an incredible honor. Those things always make me emotional. They're powerful. And there's things that we get to share together as a church that uh, you just never, ever forget. And, uh, you know, a few years ago, we were blessed to, to have Mike and Dina Van Hall come and share with us. And that was a prayer I've been praying for nine years just to be able to get to meet them and uh, it was such, if you were here, you'll remember, that was an unforgettable, incredible, powerful, Holy Spirit moment. Uh, and so when I look back, there are just so many incredible memories, so many that are funny, so many that are serious, so many that are in between. But overall, I'm just incredibly, incredibly thankful uh, for the opportunity that I've been given here uh, to serve you guys, uh, to serve your students. And uh, yeah, it's something, again, I don't take for granted. Uh, I don't feel, I've never felt for a very long time that it's anybody's right to be a pastor. It's definitely a privilege, and it's something that if God allows us to do it, uh, we're called to serve well and to be uh, full of gratitude. And so just again, a huge thank you uh, for all the laughs and for all the serious moments. I do want to share four things, uh, and then I'll, I'll be done. Four things I want to leave you with, four thoughts that maybe sum up uh, all of my teachings in the past five years, and probably before that, things that if you really were just to distill down, you know, a 45-minute sermon over the course of years and years and years, all those combined, what would be the four things that I would break that down to? And I'm not going to spend more than like two minutes on each of these. Uh, But the first one, the first one, and maybe the most important is this, is the love of the Father. The first thing I want to leave you guys with is if you thought that Josh Goodman, you know, taught you anything or reminded you of anything or the importance of anything, is the love of the Father, uh, the fact that he is truly a, a good, good Father, that he just doesn't uh, love you some sort of, in some sort of abstract way or because he has to, but that he actually loves you and he actually likes you. 
that he actually desires the best for your life, that he has nothing but good thoughts for you, that he wants to bless you and bring blessing into your life. It doesn't always look the way we think blessing in the West should look like, but he wants to bless you. He wants to hold you, to keep you, to be close to you. He wants you to experience intimacy with him, and he's worthy of experiencing intimacy with, and he can be trusted, right? He's not, as C.S. Lewis said, he's not always safe, but he's always good. And so without the love of the Father, without knowing deeply the love of the Father, living the Christian life is basically impossible, You might be able to do it for a little while, but you're gonna burn out. You're actually gonna begin to resent God. You're actually gonna begin to have bitterness towards God because you feel like you're serving a God that doesn't really care about you. But when you know the love of the Father and you know that you're loved and you operate out of that place, it makes the Christian life the most beautiful thing that anybody could ever do, the most beautiful way of life that anybody could ever live. And it's amazing how much It hinges on the love of the Father, the difference between that powerful, transformative, incredible experience and something that leaves you dry and bitter and upset and resentful. And the crux is the love of the Father. So if you find yourself at a a space where you just feel downcast, where you feel depressed about, you know, trying to follow Jesus, I would always ask you to come back to how much are you experiencing, how much are you resting, and how much are you abiding in the love the Father has for you? How secure is your identity in who the Father says you are? Not who the world says you are, not even who you might think you are at times, right? But what the Father says about you. And oftentimes when we're in spaces that aren't good in our Christian life, it always comes back to we're not resting in the love of the Father, So I would just leave you with that, that to know deeply the love of the Father. The next thing that we've preached on really extensively here in the past five years, besides the love of the Father, is that there is no you. There is no you. We're caught up in a culture that is so focused on you, right? Living your truth, your best life now, right? Following your heart, making sure that you're happy, all these types of things. But scripture tells us the complete opposite. It says there is no you. It says that when you come into Christ, you've been crucified with Christ and you no longer live, but Christ lives in you. It tells us that when we come into Christ, we died and our life is now hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ reappears, then our life will be known We get so caught up in pursuing our own desires and our own dreams and the things that we think we want that are gonna fulfill us. And really, it's like the author of Ecclesiastes says, it ends up being a chasing after the wind. The call to discipleship, the call to follow Jesus is the call to come and die, is to deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. The teaching of Jesus that's more common than any other in the gospels. In fact, it's the only teaching found in all four gospels. He says, if you want to, Save your life, you will lose it. In other words, if you want to pursue you, you will lose your life. But if you want to lose your life, you will find it. And I'll tell you that the trade-off is worth it. The trade-off is absolutely worth it. And it's not to say, right, that God doesn't give you gifts, that he doesn't give you holy desires, right, that are meant to be followed and leading from the Holy Spirit to be pursued. Don't hear me wrong there. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is things that run contrary to the gospel, contrary to the call that Jesus has given to each of us, contrary to serving others, to considering others before we consider ourselves, to laying down our lives for our friends, for washing the feet of even those who would betray us. Those are the things that it look, how it, how it looks 
when you live a life that's not focused on you. And this is not something that you can effort yourself into. Has anybody ever said, I'm gonna be less selfish this week? Or I'm gonna be more you know, centered on others. It, it might take for a few days and then something happens and it's over. This is a life that's only available to live when you understand point one, the love of the Father. And you know that you're secure in who you are, that you don't have to prove anything to anybody, that there's no more achieving for you that needs to take place. You've already been given everything, right? By the Father that you already need and then some. And this life is not all there is. We're just strangers and aliens here. And we're able to live outside of that. The pursuit of self is something that this culture, it's destroying this culture. And it's something that we have to understand as Christians, we're not meant to pursue. So the love of the Father, there is no you. The third thing that I hope you can take away that we've tried to emphasize, that I've tried to emphasize too, is to remember the poor. You know, there's this meeting in in the book of Acts where Paul's been a, a preacher and a teacher and leading churches for a long time. And he finally, after many years, he goes up to meet with some of the key disciples that were followers of Jesus before Paul was. And they have this discussion because Paul's ministering to the Gentiles and they're ministering to the Jews. And they wanna make sure that everything that's being taught is consistent with the gospel, which is fair. So they have this big meeting. Think of it as a really you know, deep discussion over theology and praxis and all these things. And they come away with a singular statement for Paul. They say, look, keep doing what you're doing. But what we want you to focus on is to remember the poor. The sum total of this massive meeting, right? Theological ideas and to make sure they're doing things right was just be sure to remember the poor. And Paul says, well, I was already eager to do that very thing. The truth is that like all of our intake, so you can do your devotions and you can listen to worship music and you can listen to sermons from Pastor Jordan or anybody else. You can, you know, do all these things, can take all this stuff in. But if you're not remembering the poor, all you're doing, the gospels and the Bible says is really kind of fattening yourself for the day of judgment, right? That stuff is not meant to just be taken in. Just like real food, if we take too much in and we don't exercise it, right, it just hangs on us. And taking in all this content is meant to achieve something. And the gospels tell us and the scriptures tell us over and over and over again in no uncertain terms that it is to serve the poor. And that doesn't just mean those that are economically poor. It could be those who are lonely, those who are elderly, those who struggle, right? But it does certainly include those who are economically poor as well, those who have less. Those things are incredibly, incredibly huge. James 1, 25 and 26 says, pure and faultless religion is this, looking after orphans and widows in their distress, and in doing so, you will keep yourself from being polluted by the world. In other words, it's an if-then clause, If you wanna keep yourself from being polluted by the world, you cannot watch certain movies, you cannot listen to certain music, you cannot go to certain things and all that, right? And that'll definitely help, but the surest way, a promise of God to make sure you're not become worldly is to serve the poor, the orphan and the widow. Figure out who those people are, what that looks like for you, and make sure that you're doing that on a regular basis, consistently, and that you're diving always deeper into the pain of those people. Last, not surprisingly at all, the last thing I want to leave you with is take Jesus seriously. If you know the story behind this, it's that one of my heroes, a guy named Eugene Peterson, who wrote many books, but also was the author of a translation of the Bible known as The Message. When his son went off to college, he had a hard time finding a church and he would return. And Eugene would always ask him, 
Like, why haven't you found a church yet? Why have you found a church yet? And he kind of dodged different answers and say different things. But eventually he said, Dad, the reason I haven't found a church is because I haven't come across a pastor who's found his message. And Eugene said, what are you talking about? And he goes, well, every pastor just has really one message. And Eugene, being a, a scholar of Greek and of Hebrew and an academic and all these, you know, he's a brilliant, brilliant guy, said, are you kidding me? You're telling me, like, all this stuff? I just have one message? And he says, yeah, Dad, you do. Which, leave it to your kids, right, to bring you back down to earth. And he goes on to talk about that. And so years ago when I read that, I asked the Lord, like, Spirit, what is my message then? Do I have one? And instantly I heard, take Jesus seriously. So it's always been my aim, all, and everything I've ever preached and everything I've ever done when it comes to counseling or teaching classes, everything comes down to taking Jesus seriously. Listening to what he has said, and as he said, not just being hearers of the word, but being doers of the word. If you start to take Jesus seriously, if you actually begin to read the Gospels. You read, we'll just say the Sermon on the Mount, and you begin to take that seriously and say, okay, Jesus says this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to live this way, empowered by the Spirit. I'm going to pursue this way of life. I'll tell you that there may be seasons and extended seasons where you show up to certain places, even church, and you show up excited because you feel like this is the thing we're supposed to be doing and you're wearing leisure suits and you look around and you're like, so no, nobody else is doing this, huh? And you feel a little bit weird and you feel a little bit awkward and that's happened to me many times throughout my life. But here's the promise that Jesus gives. He says, if you take him seriously, if you take him seriously and you do what... <laughs> He asks you to do. There may be extended seasons. He promises struggle where you feel like you're the only one in the room who got the memo. You're the only one who got the note. You're the only one who took it seriously that it was Disco Inferno. You're supposed to wear leisure suits. And I, you might feel like that was a mistake, but I promise you, and it's not the promise of Josh Goodman, it's a promise of Jesus. I promise you that if you just hang in there, there's a beautiful, beautiful bride that you get to be a part of. You get to be a part of the church and you're gonna see Jesus someday walk in the room and he's gonna be amazing and you're gonna be able to dance with him for all of eternity. And the rewards will absolutely be worth it. So I just ask you to take Jesus seriously. Don't just show up and fill a seat don't just show up and check a box and get your little spiritual fast food drive through thing. Don't do that. You'd be better off just to sleep in. Take him seriously, and it'll absolutely be worth it in the end. With that being said, I want to leave you with some book recommendations about all these things, okay? So we're just going to put those on the screen. Let's leave them up for just like one minute, and I'm almost done. So... When it comes to the first point, The Love of the Father, these are two books that I would recommend you read. You can read both of them if you want. Both these books changed my life, literally, no exaggeration. Both these books changed my life at different times and in different ways, but they still changed my life. And I go back to them and recommend them over and over again when it comes to people that are struggling with the love of the Father or to know who they are. The next one on There Is No You, 
I cannot recommend this book enough. You Are Not Your Own by Alan Noble. Cannot recommend this enough. If you're struggling with the culture and what to do, and you feel like you're just pursuing your own stuff, but you can't figure out why, then I would get this book. Last, or not last, next, regarding a ministry to the poor, remembering the poor, something needs to change by David Platt. A friend gave me this book a year and a half, two years ago, and massive, massive, massive impact. Um, the story is written as the author journeys through uh, hikes in the Himalayan mountains, and he visits these churches that are in the middle of absolutely nowhere in the Himalayas, in the heart of Buddhist territory. And as he sees what these Christians live like, something needs to change. Believe me, if you don't want, I've said this before, but if you don't want your life to change, don't read that book. Dead serious. And lastly, when it comes to taking Jesus seriously, these are two of the best books you could find. The last one, I must have had a typo, but it should say James Brian Smith. Um, but if you just type in an arrow pointing to heaven into Amazon, it'll come right up. These two for just living the Christian life, taking Jesus seriously and what that means. So the four points, some books, and that's pretty much it. So let me invite Jordan, I think, to come up and this time. Yeah, thanks, man. Uh, great stuff. Uh, different, different type of, of message and morning uh, for you, and obviously there's emotions involved. Um, before we move on to the rest, I, I just wanna I just want to thank you um, for the the many years uh, you've given to this church. Uh, in a lot of ways, have uh, made me a better pastor, um, and uh, I appreciate. I mean, there's a lot of different things and stories I could probably come up with, but you know the the consistent times we've been able to get together and just sit and talk Jesus, talk ministry, talk you know being husbands and fathers and. All of that is stuff that I'll always keep with me. And, um, you know, I think that if people were to ask me how to describe you and who you are going forward, it just it would just be those those four things, you know, because uh, you really do embody the, those and you live them out. And um, and that's that's the thing that you want out of a pastor, right? You want somebody that you know uh, is uh, uh, really means what they say. And, uh, and that's totally true uh, of you. And so uh, it has been uh, our our privilege uh, to have you uh, be a part of this church for these many years, and um, yeah, I'm glad that your office is just going to be across the street. So, yeah, that'll be good. Um, at this time, I'd like to invite um, Carrie and Lincoln. Would you want to come up? And um, any of the the elders that are here, uh, we want to just take a moment and pray over this family. Um, I guess anybody else that wants to jump in on it, uh, it's not an elders only prayer, but you can come up and. Any of the kids, anybody who wants to come up and, uh, and pray over uh, this family? Uh, yeah. Anybody else coming? Yeah. Anybody else? Yeah? No? If you've ever wondered what it's like to be on this squeaky stage, you can come up. Okay. Would you go ahead and just stretch out a, an arm uh, towards these guys? Father, I just want to thank you. Uh, for the Goodman family. I thank you for Josh and Carrie and Lincoln, uh, who they are, uh, first and foremost, as Jesus followers. I thank you that they, uh, they live a life uh, that makes it so obvious uh, to anybody who gets to know them that you are the most important thing in their life. And I thank you for that legacy that's left behind, just pointing uh, the rest of us to that kind of life. Uh, we ask uh, for you to bring uh, nothing but good their way. 
I pray, Father, that the days ahead would be uh, filled with uh, some incredible stories, that the days ahead would be filled with uh, amazing blessing, oh God, that they would, uh, they'd find themselves in a season unlike uh, any season that they have been through before. God, we, we even recognize uh, and, and remember some of the difficult seasons in their story. And, and God, we, we just pray uh, that everything that's ever happened to them or been taken from them would be repaid. And in the days ahead, God, they'd find themselves in a season of just unthinkable blessing going, how did we get from there to here? I thank you that we've been able to be a part of the story, been part of the healing process even. And uh, pray, God, you'd even, um, uh, even just continue to release that legacy over this church of being able to bring healing and wholeness to people in a time of need. And so, uh, Father, would you just um, put your arms around these guys? May they know uh, beyond a shadow of a doubt that they are loved, that they are cared for. That, uh, uh, that they matter to you and that there's a church here uh, in Irvindale that has been uh, affected deeply by their, uh, by their uh, sacrifice. We give you all thanks. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 I'm going to have you guys just go ahead and head on out. We're going to have a, a reception here uh, in the lobby in just a moment, um, just a chance to, uh, uh, to greet them, uh, say a few words uh, in passing. Obviously, they're not moving away, so uh, you should still be able to reach out to them and, and uh, share those words um, if you've got to leave quickly, but I think we will have some cupcakes out there. Um, and at church, you always have to provide food to help people stick around, so... Uh, if you brought a, a card of any sort, uh, there's a card basket out there. I know that uh, Josh and Carrie uh, would be um, so blessed to hear uh, just, just some thoughts that you may have uh, of how your life has been affected by their time here. So um, I'm not going to take long. Uh, this isn't really the, the, the type uh, of morning uh, to, do, uh, you know, to say all the things I'd like to say about the future and where we're headed as a church. I would tell you that I am, uh, I am confident and I'm excited uh, I believe that the board, uh, the elders, uh, are, are hearing from the Lord right now, and that uh, and that a, a strong plan is being put in place uh, to move our church forward. There's some really exciting conversations we're having, um, and I revealed in an email this week just some of the plans um, starting to take shape. Uh, we're excited on Tuesday. Uh, Heidi Grubb's going to start uh, working here at the church, and uh, you know, we're, yeah, you can give it up. Yeah, that's great. Come on, yeah. And if you don't know her, uh, she's excellent, high caliber. Uh, and so, you know, um, any of you who do hiring in, in, in anywhere, you want to attract talent. You want to bring people in who can have the competency, and all that is true here. But uh, she really loves Jesus, really loves our church, really loves kids, and it's going to be a solid fit. So uh, I, just wanna, I just want you to, to be excited. I know that in a day like this, uh, there's emotion, and there should be. Change is hard. You know, uh, I, I am someone who tries to avoid change. At all costs, you know, like I, I don't like change. Um, I like things to be predictable. Um, that's part of, maybe it's part of our human nature to some degree. It makes faith hard, right? Um, but but what, I, what I believe is that God has a plan here. Uh, I believe that, uh, that no, nothing has caught him off guard. And, and so um, I am excited to lean into the future that God is writing for our church. And it's going to take all of us, you know. Um, one of the things that we have felt is that there's been a little bit of a shaking going on uh, in our church. And that's good. Uh, you know, uh, if you've been here for a long time, if you've been here for, for years, um, 
That's great, and and you've kind of you've kind of ridden with us through some of the different changes. Uh, I believe that the future uh, is is really good, and uh, it's not just going back to normal, but it's moving into the new things that God has for us at this church. And so, be excited and be in prayer. Uh, if there's anything uh, that that the leadership of the church needs right now is just to really clearly hear from God. And so, if you could pray that way, and um, together, let's. Um, Man, let's continue to build a great church here in Urbandale. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for you. Uh, I'll dismiss you here. God, I thank you for our church. Uh, man, I, uh, I'm about to hit my eight-year anniversary here in a couple weeks, and, and I just have a flood of memories in my mind right now of just, just uh, what it was like eight years ago and all the things we've been through as a church. I thank you that your hand has been upon this church God, that, that lives continue to be touched, continue to be impacted, that the kingdom uh, continue, continues to advance. I, I'm reminded of all the people who have been baptized, all the people who have come to faith in you, all the people who have been discipled. And God, I pray that there is uh, not just a rich legacy in our past, but there is an incredible legacy into our future. And Lord, we believe that. We, uh, we, we want to be a church that is um, uh, all about what, you, what, you, what you're about. Uh, we want to be a church that, uh, that you're proud of, one that you, you smile at when you see the things that we are doing. And so, God, would you just continue to, to pour out clarity uh, upon the leadership of the church? Would you just continue to guide us into this new season? And again, we just pray nothing but good things and blessing over Josh and Carrie and Lincoln in the days ahead. We give you thanks today in Jesus' name. Amen.